0: a good friend, but also one of my neighbors. And uh, what he just read, I'd like to walk us through here in the moments to come. But first, let me just say this. Uh, I I hope that you're taking uh, advantage of these weeks that we're going through the book of Ruth to read it for yourself, to have your Bible with you on your lap or on your phone and read it, and then also bring your Bible or your phone here to follow along as we study the book of Ruth together, the story of Ruth, a fabulous story. How I'd like to begin is... um, referring to a movie that came out in the 90s called The Shadowlands. Maybe you saw the movie. Anthony Hopkins was in it. But it was based on a book called A Grace Observed, written by C.S. Lewis. You know the name. C.S. Lewis uh, wrote this book to tell the story of the the death of his wife, Joy, who battled an illness for a long period of time. And uh, in this book, he's very honest in his feelings about uh, death and loss and God. And I want to show you some of his words from A Grief Observed. It goes like this. Meanwhile, where is God? When you are happy, so happy that you have no sense of needing him, if you turn to him, then with praise, you will be welcomed with open arms. But go to him when your need is desperate, when all other help is vain. And what do you find? A door slammed in your face, a sound of bolting and double bolting on the inside. After that, silence. You may as well turn away you know you don't have to live very long till you realize that all of life is filled with hardship and pain and suffering we face it at different times if you're not in the middle of it now you will be eventually that's the way life goes it's very hard and sometimes you can feel like God has double bolted the door and actually has turned his back from you we want to discuss that as we go along today. Uh, in, in this story of Ruth, uh, where we are in it right now, Naomi has decided to leave the land of idol-worshiping Moab and go back to her homeland of Bethlehem in Judah. And uh, while she's been in Moab for these 10 years, her husband died, she became a widow. And then her two sons died, she became a childless widow. And now she is left with their two widows. She has uh, her daughters, two daughters-in-law Uh, three widows together. And back in those days, that was a very desperate situation. So Naomi has some things to say to God as well. And I'd like to show you some of her thoughts on the screen. It goes like this. Things are far more bitter for me than for you because the Lord himself has raised his fist against me. Don't call me Naomi, she responded. Instead, call me Mara, for the Almighty has made life very bitter for me. I went away full, but the Lord has brought me home empty. Why call me Naomi when the Lord has caused me to suffer and the Almighty has sent such tragedy upon me? Let's stop there. The the name Naomi in in the Hebrew language means sweet, Uh, but she says, call me Mara, because it means bitter. Um, You would think by reading her words, she's on the edge of leaving God turning her back to God, giving up on her faith. But just the opposite is true. Actually, her cries of agony are a sign that she is trusting in God. We're going to develop that as we go. What we're reading here is what we call a lament. That's not a term we use very often, lament. Um, I was trying to think of an illustration that would help us understand what a lament is, and I thought of golf because I'm familiar with lamenting and golf. And uh, when I'm on the golf course or at my son's place, uh, indoor simulation place, Coastal Swing, um, the last club in my bag I want to be looking for is a sand wedge. Because a sand wedge means I'm in trouble. And in a sense, God has given us a sand wedge, the, the gift of lament for times that we are in trouble. And I hope to develop that as we go along. What I'd like to do is help us answer three questions. The first is, what is lament? Why should we lament to God? And how can our lament help others? So let's deal with the very first one, what is a lament? Uh, one author puts it like this. I can't pronounce it, I've roy Gulp, maybe? Uh, lament is how you live between the poles of a hard life and trusting in God's sovereignty... Lament is how we bring our sorrow to God. Hang on, a lament is how we bring our sorrow to God. It's, it's, it's our sandwich. It's what helps us in a time of trouble. And he gives us this illustration of what life is like for the Christ follower. We have our troubles. Come on, none of us here can say we don't have troubles or at times our lives are not messy. They are. The question is, to whom do you turn? when those troubles come, when life gets messy. For Naomi, she turned to God, as every child of God should do. We should turn to God. I was thinking about what it was like for my wife and me raising our children. We have three kids. And, you know, so much joy in all of that. But it's not that it wasn't there were times of trouble when um you know our kids were disappointed with us or disgruntled with us or dis- disapproved of us or whatever and maybe it's because we said no or not now or you can't go there or you can't do that and uh, they, they were very they were quite vocal you know and th- like uh, you know sometimes you wonder is that my kid talking that's just the way kids can be at times i'm sure like it was like that as well and you can you can begin to be discouraged how they... Or you can be thinking in your mind, you know, uh, at least they're in the arena with us. They're still in the game. They're, They're having dialogue with us. In a sense, what I'm saying is that they trust us as parents enough to be honest and open and direct with us. That's a good thing. You know, I think sometimes as Christians... We feel like we cannot be vocal with God. We cannot be direct or open or angry with God or express how mad we are at God because in some way that shows that we, there's distrust in our life. But just the opposite is true because whenever you trust someone, you're, you'll have a willingness to be open and honest and direct. And that's what we see in Naomi's life. Now, even with that said, it's sometimes hard for us as Christ followers to believe that I can be that direct with God, that I can express my anger and frustrations with God that openly. God knows that. And so threaded throughout Scripture are examples of lamenting to God. Let me go to the book of Psalms. You know, in the book of Psalms, there's 150 psalms. They're classified in different ways. There's, a, there's the praise psalms. There's the confessional psalms. There's the, um, you know, petitional psalms. There's what you call the imprecatory psalms. That's where you say, God, please smite my enemy. That kind of psalm. Uh, but I'm talking about the, the lament psalms. There's 42 of them where the psalmist is just very honest with God. And the one i to show you is, is an expression of He's fearful and like, where is God in the middle of all of this? It goes like this. I cry out to God. Yes, I shout, oh, that God would listen to me. When I was in deep trouble, I searched for the Lord. All night long, I prayed with hands lifted toward heaven, but my soul was not comforted. I think of God and I moan, overwhelmed with longing for his help. And so being clear about troubles and trials and struggles, to whom do you turn when you're in the middle of hardship? Well, in the Lament Psalms, eventually they turn around and turn to God. And these are the words to come. But then I recall, same psalm, but then I recall how, <clears throat> then I recall all you have done, O Lord. I remember your wonderful deeds of long ago. They are constantly in my thoughts. I cannot stop thinking about your mighty voice. So you can see in these words, this, this psalmist is living in the tension between troubles. It's real. It's, it's, that's the way life is. And yet, to whom else do I turn but to God? I'll put my trust in God. So what is a lament? It's lamenting to God, being honest about our troubles, but turning to Him. Let's go to the second question. Why should we lament to God? Well, I mean, simply because God invites us to. We're, we're called to bring our regrets and our fears and our confessions and our anger to God. I think it's interesting that, you know, 66 books in the Bible, one of those books is called Lamentations. (laughs) The word lament is there. There's five chapters of Jeremiah, the weeping prophet, lamenting before God because God allowed the destruction of his beloved Jerusalem, which he himself had predicted in the book of Jeremiah. So we have the book of Lamentations. God invites us to lament. I think of the book of Job. In the Hebrew Bible, there's Ruth. And just before Ruth comes the book of Proverbs. And just before the book of Proverbs comes the book of Job. And Job, of course, lost his entire portfolio, lost all of his family. His loss and pain and suffering was unreal. And for 35 chapters, God is silent. And it's like, it's like all of those 35 chapters is one big lament where Job is talking to God. And at some point you think, Wait, you're allowed to talk to God like that? Job is just out there with his emotions. For example, he says, God has blocked my way so I cannot move. He has plunged my path into darkness. He has stripped me of my honor and removed the crown from my head. He has demolished me on every side and I am finished. He has uprooted my hope like a fallen tree. His fury burns against me. He counts me as his enemy. I had to stop there because we only have so much time. There, there, there are these words and harder words that Job expresses. But at points in the book of Job, these, these, these lofty words of praise, where did that come from? It's because Job being honest about his troubles, it's like he's asking, but to whom else do I turn? And so we read words like this. But as for me, I know that my Redeemer lives, and he will stand upon the earth at last, and after my body is decayed, yet in my body I will see God. I will see him for myself. Yes, I will see him with my own eyes. I am overwhelmed at the thought. Living in the tension between troubles and trust. Feel free to lament to God. He has broad shoulders, and he can handle it. There is a danger in not lamenting. There's a couple of dangers, probably more than a couple, but but one would be you're angry at God. He has not come through. He has not answered your prayers. You ever been there? And as a pastor, I've been a pastor for a lot of years now, and I've seen this happen where somebody is angry at God, and rather than lamenting and being honest with God, they give God the silent treatment. And as God has turned their back to them, supposedly, they turn their back to God, and they walk away from the faith completely. That's a danger. Another danger would be God's not coming through. You've prayed, you've prayed, and God's not coming through. And you begin to doubt God. Now, we all doubt God at times. I mean, a doubt is just part of our human existence and part of our journey in Christ. But We doubt, but a person begins to feel guilty that they're doubting They may show up in a worship service like this and praise God, but deep inside they've suppressed and buried all of their emotions. And rather than being honest with God, they're just quiet. And they they never really move toward God, which a lament is made to help us move toward God. But if we just bury our emotions and are never honest with God, we will not experience movement. So there are some real dangers with not lamenting. God has given us the gift of lament. That's important to remember. Let's go, back to, let's go back to Naomi. Don't call me Naomi, she responded. Instead, call me Mara, for the Almighty has made life very bitter for me. I went away full, but the Lord has brought me home empty. Why call me Naomi when the Lord has caused me to suffer and the Almighty has sent such tragedy upon me? Now you can hear her honesty. She's clear about her feelings about God, what God has done and all that. She's clear about her troubles. But to whom else do you turn? Did you notice the word here, Almighty? Maybe you've been in church long enough to hear the term El Shaddai. It means God Almighty. Here she just uses the word Almighty, which is where we get the word Shaddai. To whom else do I turn but to Shaddai? One author says this, Shaddai, that's the Hebrew word, relates to mountain in the qualitative sense of possessing durability, solidity, and trustworthiness. To whom else do I go but to God? Yes, I've got my troubles. We all have our troubles and trials and sometimes more than other times, But to whom else do I turn but to my mountain? Another author says it like this. It is as though Naomi is saying, you can see the bitterness I have experienced, the famine, the bereavement, the questionings, the apparent hopelessness, but I know God as Shaddai, as Shaddai, and I can leave the explanation and even the responsibility for this bitterness with Him. I can leave it with Him. Now, back to the Hebrew Bible. You've got the book of Ruth which is preceded by the book of Proverbs, which is preceded by the book of Job. It's organized differently than our English Bible, but I think it's interesting that tucked between Ruth and Job is the book of Proverbs. What do we know about the book of Proverbs? The book of Proverbs is a book of what? Wisdom. And what is, what is, the, what is one of the, the, the greatest hallmarks of wisdom in a Christ follower's life? You are confident that even though it doesn't seem like God is working, he is providentially working behind the scenes. And Job, in the book of Job, God is silent for 35 chapters. Where is God? Where is God? Where is God? And we get to the end, and we realize God is at work all the time behind the scenes. And that brings Job to an even higher level in his own spiritual life. Job gains wisdom that God is at work behind the scenes. You go to the book of Ruth on the other side of Proverbs, we see a picture of characters in the Bible gradually understanding that God is providentially at work behind the scenes, drawing them to himself. And I look at you, and I look at me, and I think, wow, we are each at a different chapter in our lives, aren't we? And the thing about the chapter in my life right now, I don't know how this chapter is going to end. And some of you might be in a chapter right now that's marked by trials and troubles and tribulation, difficulties and suffering and pain and sickness and health. It could be. And you don't know how this chapter is going to end. But if there's one thing we learn from Job and Ruth, the story of Ruth, is that Shaddai, our mountain, he is providentially at work behind the scenes, drawing you closer to yourself and to himself. And our responsibility is to draw close to him. Those who seek him will find him. Let's answer another question. I love this question. As we think about the tension we live in between troubles and trust, let's ask this question. How can our lament help others? Interesting. Because at this point in the story, Ruth, she does not yet have a relationship with God. Ruth grew up in Moab, I mean, idol worshiping, godless, rebellious Moab that has nothing to do with the promised, with the chosen people of Israel, with the promised land of Israel. Ruth does not grow up knowing about God at all. But here she is with Naomi who, you know, Naomi could have just whitewashed everything, put on a facade, just acted like nothing's wrong. Oh, it's fine. Everything's fine. Everything's perfect. Everything's good. After all, I believe in God. But Naomi doesn't do that. She puts it out there in a very honest and real way, authentic way, real and raw. And, you know, Ruth and then the other daughter-in-law is still there. Her name's Orpah. Ruth and Orpah, they could have said to themselves, you know what, if that's the way Naomi's God treats Naomi, I don't want anything to do with that God. And Naomi, as she's headed back to the Promised Land, she says, you girls, you girls stay here in Moab. You stay here in Moab. And Orpah, in tears, leaves, but Ruth stays with Naomi. And I think it's so interesting in the context of Naomi's lament, her honest words These are the words of Ruth. But Ruth replied, Don't ask me to leave and turn back. Wherever you go, I will go. Wherever you live, I will live. Your people will be my people, and your God will be my God. Wherever you die, I will die, and there I will be buried. May the Lord punish me severely. If I allow anything but death to separate us, when Naomi saw that Ruth was determined to go with her, she said nothing more. That is like a conversion story. Ruth turns to Naomi's God. And let's be sure to say that this happened in the context not of Naomi appearing perfect, but in the context of Naomi lamenting and being honest about her pain and her struggles. One of the uh, values we have here at the chapel is be authentic. We have five values. That's one of them be authentic. Authenticity matters. Being real matters. And as a church, it's important for us to be real, to be honest, to be genuine. But as individual Christians out there in the marketplace, in our neighborhoods, with our families, it's important to be genuine and real and honest, isn't it? Rather than put on a facade like everything is perfect, everything's fine, but to be genuine. I. I this occurred to me some years ago. You know, what, if, I try, if I try to come across as perfect with my family or try to come across as perfect with my neighbors or my different friends who may not, may not yet have a relationship with God through Christ, if I try to be perfect, I will, I will make myself irrelevant to them. And if I make myself irrelevant to them, then God will be irrelevant to them. So, God invites us to lament, to lament, which then, by being honest with our troubles and putting our trust in God, that moves us closer to God. But a lament can also help those watching us maybe take a step closer like Ruth to God. In just a moment, we're going to share communion together. And I want to try to just connect the dots between the story of Naomi uh, with communion. You know, um, communion is, and when you came in, by the way, you received the bread and the cup, I believe, and so have that ready uh, with you. Communion is, is, is intended to make us look back to the death of Jesus Christ on the cross where he took your sin and my sin onto himself so that we never have to pay the penalty of our sin. That's looking back. But the communion is also designed to make us look forward to the day when Jesus comes again. Between this day and that day, we are to take communion. And it reminds us that through the death and the resurrection... And the sending of the Holy Spirit, Jesus inaugurated. He launched the kingdom of heaven here on earth. And then when you became a Christ follower, when you became a a follower of Jesus, God's Spirit came to live within you and to begin to change your life. To turn your life from chaos into beauty, from ashes into beauty, And that's God's job, to transform us. And and one day when we see Jesus, we will be made like him. Between this day and that day, we are to take communion. I was thinking about Naomi. Right now in this story, she's a mess. (laughs) But by the time we get to the end of the story, she's a woman of great faith and a woman of great hope. That's why a lot of people call their kids Naomi. Naomi. And just as God did a great work in Naomi's life, as a Christ follower, God is doing a great work in your life. And communion reminds us how that all started with the death of Jesus on the cross who took our sins. It doesn't eliminate our troubles and our trials. We can admit that. But we put our trust in God. So the worship team is going to play for us a beautiful song, how God turns chaos into beauty. And whenever you're ready, take the bread and the cup, don't wait for me. Whenever you're ready, just take the bread and the cup. The bread represents the body of Jesus broken for you, given for you. The cup represents his blood, the new covenant given for you. And it reminds us of what Jesus did on the cross, it points forward to his coming again. Let's sing together.